This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Gospel of the Lord. I want to take a portion of that gospel reading as my uh, text this morning from John's gospel, uh, chapter uh, chapter uh, three, uh, in particular, verses 14 through 17. John's gospel, chapter three, verses 14 through 17. Uh, and so if you have a New Testament handy, that's the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And I want to invite you to turn there. Um, and, and I want to talk on this subject this morning, face object and face reward, faith's object, and faith's reward. Now to speak of a face object is to speak uh, uh, of that in which we believe. And to speak of face reward is to speak of the result uh, or the outcome of believing. Uh, and both of these, faith's object and face reward, figure large uh, in this morning's text. Uh, from John chapter 3. Indeed, uh, faith's object in our text uh, is Jesus. Faith's object is Jesus. Uh, Alistair McGrath in his book entitled Studies in Doctrine wrote this. He said, at the heart of the Christian faith lies not so much a set of abstract ideas or beliefs, but a person. Listen to that again. At the heart of the Christian faith, lies not so much a set of abstract uh, ideas and beliefs, but at the heart of Christianity lies a person. Of course, that person is whom? Well, it's Jesus. When I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, I think my, my favorite professor uh, was Dr. Hannah, who is the professor of historical theology. And, uh, and um, every day that we had class with him, and just before class, he would come in uh, and before he got to his lecture, he'd always give us this sort of uh, what you might call a little nugget, maybe something that he had been thinking about. And so he just give it to us and it had nothing directly to do uh, with the subject uh, that he was planning uh, in his lecture. Uh, and uh, oftentimes I would scratch down what he'd have to say because it was really worth scratching down. And one morning he said this and I scratched it down. He said, Christianity is not what it is because it has an answer to every question, but when there are no answers, it offers a person whom we can trust, a person we can believe in. And of course, that person is Jesus. 
face object. Indeed, notice again our text and beginning at verse 14. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John says that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must uh, the son of man, referring to Jesus, he, he must be lifted up. Uh, this is a reference to something that's mentioned in the 21st chapter of Numbers. Uh, and there we read about the Israelites, God's covenant people, uh, whom God had delivered uh, from slavery in Egypt and whom God had provided for in every possible way while they were wandering about in the wilderness. That They had become, we read, they had become impatient with God. And so they were complaining against God and against Moses, who was God's appointed uh, leader over them. Indeed, notwithstanding the fact that God had always provided for their needs, uh, they didn't like, for instance, the rate at which he uh, provided what they needed. And, and they weren't always particularly uh, pleased with what he did provide. Uh, and so they complained. In fact, this is what we read uh, in Numbers 21. In fact, this is the first reading uh, assigned for today. Numbers 21 and beginning at verse four, and the people became impatient on the way. In their journey, they became impatient. And so the people spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Why did you, why did you loosen the chains and take us out of slavery to wander about in the wilderness? And then they said, for there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, which seems a contradiction. Indeed, there was food. God provided food. He provided them manna every day, uh, but they didn't like it. And so God's uh, judgment came upon them. Indeed, he was a bit tired uh, of, of them and their complaining and their grumbling. And so he sent uh, poisonous uh, serpents uh, into the camp, and these serpents bit some of the people. Some of the people got sick, and we're told in the text that many of them died. And then as we read on in uh, Numbers 21, we read that the people repented. I guess they got the message. Uh, and, and, and Moses interceded for them. He, he prayed on their behalf that God would be gracious and provide a way out of this problem that they were facing. Indeed, we read in uh, Numbers uh, 21 and beginning at verse 8, and it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, which is a fiery, so a reference to the way they looked. They were perhaps sort of a copper, maybe a, a reddish color. M make a fiery serpent uh, and, and put it on a pole, that is to say, lift it up. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, we read in the text, and he set it on a pole. And, as, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And so then we read in our text in, in, in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And this is actually Jesus speaking. This is the last thing that he said to Nicodemus, which is what took place in the earlier part, a discussion with Nicodemus in the earlier part of John chapter 3. He says, as Moses 
lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that is Jesus, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness as a way of healing and deliverance. And so God the Father lifts up Jesus on the cross so that whoever believes in him might find deliverance, indeed salvation, and the gift of eternal life. We know that uh, the reference, this phrase of he, that he, he must be lifted up uh, is a reference to the cross. Indeed, we, we read as much uh, in the same uh, Gospel of John uh, when we get to the 12th chapter where we have the words of Jesus in verse 32 and then John's uh, editorial comments in verse 33. But in, in John chapter uh, 12 and verse 32, uh, Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then John's editorial comment in verse 33, and Jesus said this to show what kind of death he was to die. It's a reference to crucifixion. Indeed, the crucified person is fixated, nailed to a cross, and, the word, what, and then what? Well, he's lifted up. He's lifted up on the, uh, from the ground, on the cross. And in our text, we find that the motivation behind all of this, God's motivation for all of this, is love. Indeed, God the Father gave his son because he loves us. He didn't give the son to condemn us. He gave the son to save us. Indeed, notice uh, again in our text, verses 16 and 17. This famous, perhaps the most famous of all scripture texts, verse 16, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in the son, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish. Indeed, the word perish in, uh, in the Greek can, can also be uh, uh, um, uh, um, translated uh, destroy, so that no one so that no one might perish, but rather have eternal life. Verse seventeen: For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world might be saved through Him. That God loves the world. What does that mean? It means that God loves all people without distinction. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting and unique thing to be said at this time uh, by the apostles. That God was dealing with more than just his covenant people, Israel. But now he's dealing with the whole world. Peoples from many places, many nations, speaking various different languages, with different skin tones and different cultures. Now God is focusing on the whole world. He, he loves the world. He loves all people without distinction, which also means that Jesus is for everyone. To be Lord and Savior to any who will look to him as he's lifted up and believe in him. And so when we come, for instance, to the end of Matthew's gospel, we have what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. Uh, and and, and its, its scope of ministry is worldwide, not just with Israel or the Israelites, but with the whole world. And, and so we 
hear Jesus say as we read uh, in Matthew 28, beginning at verse 19, he tells, he tells the apostles, and so go now and make disciples for me of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, people in all nations, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. And behold, when you're doing this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or when uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to the believers in the churches of Galatia, he wrote this with, on a similar theme in Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. He said, for in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith, <laughs> because you believe you are heirs of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ which is an interesting expression. God the Father, you remember, said of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when we're spiritually united with him, that's how the Father sees us. He sees us in his son with whom he's well pleased. But then he says in the last verse, verse 28, he says, for there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. All these categories of persons. There's no male or female for you all are one in Christ Jesus, all of you are in Christ and accepted in him by the Father without distinction, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, uh, uh, black, white. It doesn't make any difference if you're in Christ. We're all one and loved by the Father. And so faith's object, no matter who we are, <laughs> is Jesus. And then face reward is eternal life. Indeed, notice again uh, in our text, beginning at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, by divine providence, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so eternal life is face reward. Eternal life as to its quality is, is God's kind of life. And it is like God himself, a, a, a life that's beyond measure, uh, without boundaries or limits. Indeed, uh, when Jesus was talking about life, uh, to uh, Martha in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, this same Gospel of John, uh, he said this, and uh, John's uh, Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, <laughs> I'm the object of faith. Whoever believes in me, though, though he die, yet shall he live. Even though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, indeed, ultimately, will never die. This is why Paul asked the rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. He says, oh, death, oh, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because eternal life cannot be conquered or limited in any way, even by death. <laughs> 
And even while eternal life is the is is the kind of life of the age yet to come, namely the kingdom yet to come. If we're believers, it's not it's not the kind it's not the kind of life uh, that we're waiting to get. It's the kind of life that we have even now if we're believers. Indeed, notice again, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, not get, but have eternal life. Indeed, eternal life is not something that the believer gets sometime in the future. Eternal life is what he has because he's believing. Eternal and eternal life, as you can see in the text, is the exact opposite of perishing. And those are the two choices for us. Either we'll perish, either we'll be destroyed, die, and thereafter face judgment before God. Or through faith in Christ, receive the gift of eternal life. And then as Paul said to the Romans, and if anyone be in Christ, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And all of this is ours because God loves us and because we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. I love the way that uh, Brennan Manning put it. Uh, Manning wrote this. He said, God loves us so much, he, he'd rather die than live without us. Listen to that again. God loves us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. That's good theology. In fact, that's a bit of a paraphrase of what the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, writing to the Romans in chapter 5 and verse 8, as we know it, and, and where we read, but God shows his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, even while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us, and while that we were, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this tells us in, in, in no small uh, measure just how valuable we are to God. And someone else has written, my worth is what I'm worth to God. And that's a marvelous great deal because Christ died for me. And so how about you? Do you have eternal life, the life of God living in you? And is Jesus the object of your faith? And if you've never really placed your whole trust and faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you'd be willing to do it this morning and receive the gift of eternal life. And if you do, I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Face object and face reward. Let us pray. This is it. This is the good news, the evangelion, the, the, the gospel, that you love us, Lord. And, and, the, and love to you is not just words or sentimentality as it so often is to us. Your love takes action. Your love makes sacrifices. Uh, you and all of your holiness have law and, of course, law. Law has no teeth, has no meaning or power, for there isn't penalty for, for, for breaking it. And we have broken your law. 
And yet through Christ, we find forgiveness of all of that. And yet you are not only the justifier, but you are just. You pour out the wrath due to sin. And you poured it out on the son. You gave him to be lifted up in crucifixion and judgment and penalty that we might be spared such and that we might come to know you and be reunited with you, reconciled to you and know fellowship with you by believing in him and trusting in him and receiving that blessing as a free gift. And so if any of us have not really made that decision and never really given ourselves to the Son and trust and faith. And I suspect that there may very well be those who are even listening now where they've gone to church and they have religious ideas and they believe in Jesus as a historical person or, or one other one thing or another, but they've never made him Lord and they've never trusted him to do for them what they can't do for themselves. I pray that they trust him today. And for those of us, Lord, who have who ha are trusting, that we trust you more with every aspect of our lives, that in every aspect of our lives, therein you might be glorified. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.